0: Hi, I'm Shereen Patek, and you're listening to the Modern Retail Podcast. Every week, I talk to those making change happen in the world of retail. Parenthood is hard enough, so I hear, um, but meet the brand trying to make it ever so slightly easier. I'm fascinated by Lala, the direct-to-consumer baby brand that has the stroller that I'm seeing pretty much everywhere these days, which we need to talk about, but my guest this week, co-founder Michael Weider. Hi, Michael.
1: Hey, great to be here.
0: We're so excited to have you. Okay, let's start right from the beginning, origin story. Why found Lalo?
1: Yeah, so it actually starts, I was catching up with a friend who's now my co-founder, Greg, and we are at dinner and he was talking to me about this experience of seeing his friends, walking into their apartment and all this baby stuff everywhere and asked me if I saw the same thing and then, you know, asked me if I was starting to try because he knew I had been married for a little bit and at that time, my wife and I had just started trying. So it was like, yes. He's like, okay, well, I think there's a business here because this is crazy. And what do you think? And I was like, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's solve it before I have a kid.
0: What were you doing at the
1: time? Work-wise? So at the time, I was working in brand marketing and partnerships at a tech company called Way Up. Got it. So yeah.
0: no producty experience.
1: No. My background is always in entrepreneurship and even sports and entertainment. I was a sports agent back in the early days of my career.
0: So this was basically, obviously, a germ of an idea. And I'm always fascinated by how something goes from germ of an idea to product to oh my God, we've co-founded a business, what's next? How did all that happen?
1: Yeah, so I said I'm in. I said, let's solve this before I have a kid. Little did I know my wife and I were about to start a fertility journey. So we've been struggling with infertility. I'm happy to say we are expecting a baby in February now. That um, is so exciting. Yeah, so we You did, heard we, it
0: here first, everybody.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so we're on the, on the way to solving the problem as I'm expecting my kid, but we jumped right into it. And the first thing we did is we sent out a survey. We said, okay, we're not parents and- How are we going to solve this? And so we asked parents, we asked thousands of parents, like, what is going on here? What are you buying? When do you buy it? How do you make your decisions? And what became clear really, really quickly is people are overwhelmed. This is a place, you know, you get to a stage in your life where you're forced to make hundreds and hundreds of purchasing decisions for products you've never used before. That's unlike anything else you shop for.
0: So you said, OK, bunch of different things. But I do think that, you know, when somebody hears kind of baby brand, they go and then they hear DTC. And I have to say, sort of when I put those words together in my head, I know what you guys do. But I immediately think, OK, subscription models, replenishment, diapers, you know, that kind of thing, formula. We're going down that route. You sort of went. I th- actually think it's a route that I wouldn't expect if you think of those things so why so firstly for those who don't know tell us about sort of figuring out that the why you picked the products that you sort of picked and how that even happened
1: so those products you mentioned we think of that kind of as the easy stuff those are things you need quick easy fast um, and you make those decisions they need to be at your fingertips where these big purchases strollers high chairs big durable products parents paint over it they don't know where to start um, traditionally, it's, it's a way, the way customers behave, they act on ignorance and fear. They're like, I don't want to screw this up. And they scramble and they ask them friends, they don't know where to start. You know, I remember really in the early days, we went to a big box store just to do some research and there was this pregnant couple there. The woman was probably very close to nine months pregnant and ready to give birth. And they're there, they're Googling on their phones, no one is helping them. So I walk up to them, I ask, what's the number one word? to describe how you feel right now, and they both looked at me and said, overwhelmed. I found out, it was their first- Wait, they didn't
0: go, why are you talking to me?
1: Well, I explained very, (laughs) uh, I'm not weird, I'm just starting a company and I wanna (laughs) hear from you. Um, But what became really clear is they were stuck, they were there for their third time, and they still didn't know what they were gonna purchase. So we said, this is the perfect thing. Consumers are craving this attention from the brands. They want to hear from brands. They want help. They want honest information. They don't want to be stuck making decisions out of ignorance and fear.
0: So what makes, um, I do want to talk about the competition, sort of the competitive landscape, but that, let's just lay out what the products are for people who don't know. So you have a stroller. Yeah. What makes your stroller different
1: or yeah. special? So we sell a stroller. It's called The Daily. Um, it's an everyday stroller. So it's meant to take you from birth all the way to the time you outgrow stroller age. But not only that, it's built to accommodate two children as well. So it's really meant to grow with your family. So that's one way it's different. We also bundle all the accessories. So one thing that became clear in talking to people specifically about strollers is first they make the stroller decision, and then they find out that they have to make all these other decisions regarding the stroller. They need these accessories like car seat adapters. You can't leave a hospital with a baby without a car seat. And people like to easily move from a car to a stroller. They don't like to carry around tons of different pieces but those car seat adapters are extra and you have to buy them. Mm-hmm. We include them. Mm-hmm. So that's a major, major differentiator. We want to make parents' lives easier. We want them to focus on what really matters, which is developing a child.
0: And what about the high chair?
1: So the high chair is beautiful it's simple we can't even keep it in stock so since we've launched it it's sold out 3 times you
0: started with the stroller or you started with both
1: we started with, the, with stroller. the stroller yeah and then 4 months later and that's no mis- that's not by chance 4 months later that's typically when you start thinking about starting solids foods we launched the high chair so we wanted to grow with our consumers and we wanted a piece of furniture that's in your house that doesn't scream baby you're not <laughs> making sacrifices in your kitchen this this high chair is looks beautiful in all different colors And it's super easy to clean. So once again, making parents' lives easier.
0: So uh, what is interesting to me about sort of, you know, most, let's just call them direct to consumer brands because that term itself can mean Mm -hmm. so many different things, but I'm going to use it for now just as a, you know what I mean, digitally native startup, consumer oriented companies and young companies. Yeah. They tend to be in industries that there's already sort of big players and those big players essentially for lack of a better word, aren't do- getting the job done. So, you know, we've had people on the podcast that are making beverages because a certain type of beverage simply isn't being made by bigger companies. And there are sort of these giant lumbering legacy heritage companies that are owning most of the market, but they're not, these companies say, answering some, some needs. When you sent a survey out, you figured out what the needs or you started to figure out what the needs of your would-be con- consumers would be. What was the flip side of it? Who were you trying to disrupt? Who are you trying to disrupt? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I think there's there's two things I'll I'll, I'll talk about here. Number one, the big brands, the incumbent brands that you mentioned, um, the brands we are aiming to disrupt, they only talk to consumers in this category when there are problems, when there you know someone wants to register their warranty or something breaks. That's the only time they get to talk to a cons- consumer we get to talk to consumers every day. Hmm. We've had consumers that message us the second after they take a pregnancy test and it comes back positive. So they've been seeing us, whether it's through influencers or Instagram or you name it, or just through friends, and they're so excited that they can become part of the Lalo family, that the first thing they do is message us when they know that they're pregnant. And that's why we built this company. Um, the second piece of it is, we're going after the shopping experience. We're trying to make things easier. so. Obviously, it's hard to look at what that means with two products, but looking forward to the future, that's what we think about every day.
0: So let's let's go down that first one first. Um, why did you choose to go with sort of two hero products? Because again, going back to launch strategies, we see there's sort of a playbook, but there's a few different playbooks that we can see. One is people, you know, a ways of the world, right? Launch with one thing and then by the time sort of that builds up enough brand equity, people start loving and knowing the brand, then they go into kind of, I call them almost like adjacent categories. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, away's the a suitcase, we'll do travel. And you see this played out in a lot of different industries. You've gone with two hero products, essentially, that are pretty central to kind of the yeah. parenthood experience. What? How do you think of kind of the stretchability of the brand and how do you think of the life cycle? Walk me through kind of how you just think of the vision of growing a company like this.
1: Yeah, so... We launched two products very simply because we're a baby products company. If we have one product, we're a stroller company or we're a high chair company. And And you don't want that? No, we want to be in your life every milestone. We want to be there as your family is growing, as your kids are growing, as you're experiencing exciting things like your first steps, your first bites of food, your first words. And we can't do that with one product because then we're stuck in this one moment. Hmm. Um, So that was the decision about launching different products where that takes us, you know, there's a long list of, you know, in our office of things we might tackle next. Um, Right now, we're focused on these two products, and we'll continue to grow kind of the adjacencies around them um, first and kind of grow these two for the foreseeable future. But we have a big vision um, about how we grow our products, how we grow the shop, change the shopping experience for parents. And, you know, we think we've, we've started, you know, cracking that nut now.
0: Do you think, though, that like, DTC brands again, um, or startup brands right now, are more stretchable than they used to be. Like I couldn't have imagined, right? Like it, I, I get it. Like Nike is a athletic wear shoes company. It makes lots of stuff, and now they're, they're they keep stretching, but they still kind of stayed at least for the first like twenty years, mostly in their lane. Yeah. But I I find it interesting when you look around at your peers. How much more stretchable the sort of brand seems to be, like people are now thinking, well, we can do the adjacencies that might not feel that adjacent. How do you think of that just generally with the industry?
1: Yeah, I think in generally speaking, yes, brands are becoming more stretchable. they want to own more of the conversation. You hear about d2 c holding companies as a you know a trend of and what that means um, and that is that's valid that there are there's more to tackle, and I think the original you know, D to C playbook in quotes is kind of changed. It's it's over. You're not. You look at those those initial companies that have done a great job at kind of paving the path for companies like Wallo, and they're they've taken a lot of things that have a small, medium, and large size to it, or a different profile to it, and and reskinned it. Baby is very different, um, and it's actually a, an industry that's been dominated by holding companies. They have brands. You know, they have their stroller brand, they have their high chair brand, they have their crib brand, and they don't let those brands cross. But how do you connect with the consumer? How do you connect across those different products and connect with them every day if those brands can't be across those different products? Um,
0: Explain that to me a little bit. Actually, that's a really interesting point. Because, again, Lalo is stretchable. It can really do anything. You're just going to have to pick.
1: Yeah. Um, so what that do you picking mean when, like, part is the hard part, right. though. That,
0: <laughs> I'm just making it sound easy. Yeah. Just close your eyes. Yeah. But, but go back to what you were saying, because you're right. Sort of, what was the old DTC playbook? Let's talk about that, and then we'll sort of talk about what's changed.
1: So I, I think the old DTC playbook was pick a product, stick to it, do it really well, and then grow, right? right? Um, where we came out with our second product four months in, right? We said, we're here to stay. And a big part of it for us in the baby space was we always knew from day one the biggest hurdle. In talking to parents was going to be building trust and validation
0: it's kind of a very important purchase
1: (laughs) yes I mean we know that you're putting your most precious belonging in our products they have to be safe they have to look good they have to be an extension of who you are and if you don't trust us then why buy us Mm -hmm. so we knew that was going to be our obstacle from day one and so we every single thing we did from a marketing perspective is about building trust and to me, that's a little bit different. You look at the traditional D2C playbook, for most of those products, every single day you can wake up and see an ad and decide you want to buy a toothbrush or a suitcase or a new pair of shoes. It's not every day you can say, I want to buy a stroller.
0: Okay, so a little bit more of a considered purchase.
1: It's considered purchase, but it's a really a moment in time that you can buy a stroller. You have to be pregnant or expecting a child. Hmm. And that's different.
0: So it's not just about... The consider, you know, I like a mattress is a considered purchase, you're not going to buy it very often, but you're sort of you've got sort of a window.
1: We have a very fine window, right? So, a mattress you can wake up and you can say, I'm moving and I'm going to buy a mattress, or you can say, You know what, I got a bad night's sleep tonight. Today is the day my mattress is going on the curb and my new mattress in a box is showing up in my door.
0: Let's go to the beginning, actually, because I am curious about how do you start bringing a brand to market that nobody's heard of and again is kind of important.
1: Yeah, so. For us, you know, building trust and validation and looking at the consumer journey, um, most people start in two places. Number one, with their friends, and number two, on Google. They start searching, right? So knowing that, we said, how can we get in front of people's friends when no one has our products? They're already referring the incumbent brands. So what we did at the beginning is we started hosting family days. So we actually welcome people into our space with other brand strollers.
0: Wait, we haven't talked about your space yet. Talk to us about the showroom first, and then talk about
1: this. Surprise, we have a showroom. (laughs) We have a showroom, everybody. Yeah, and this is all part of that strategy, is we knew from day one we needed to welcome people into our home, welcome them into our family, and we knew for these products, to gain that trust, they had to touch them and feel them. We can be online, but as much as possible, get people to touch and feel them. So we opened the Lalo Loft in Soho in New York. So people- The
0: DTC Mecca.
1: Yeah. and uh, and what we knew is if people can come in and make a one-on-one appointment, come into this space that looks like a beautiful apartment, it will be so differentiated from that last trip they made to the big box store that they'll they'll buy our products. And that actually checked out. Fifty percent of the people who made appointments to date have actually purchased our products.
0: So that's and that makes so much sense. Again, it's not the kind of product you necessarily can just buy without touching or f- looking at, especially
1: and- if your friends don't have it yet.
0: And your friends don't have it yet, so this is. But that's sort of the launch, kind of the launch moment. Okay, so I need people to see it, so that then they'll buy it, and then their friends will see it, and then that's how that'll scale. Because you're not going to have a showroom in every town in America. It's not yet pretty, pretty hard to do, yeah, right? Yeah. You might have a showroom a little bit farther away that nobody can get to, right? Um, so then you so you open the showroom. You say people should come in. How do you tell people the showroom exists?
1: So we tell people obviously through advertising, localized advertising, um, through email. So when they're you know they're urged to come in, um, social media. We welcome influencers. We do events. We host a ton of events in the space. Um, but the showroom, you know, like you said, we can't have a showroom in every city in America, especially not at launch. But what what has been amazing is people have found out that we have this showroom. They ask where can I see the products. We actually video chat with them too. So even if they can't get to us, we'll find a way to welcome them into our space and have that same experience or close to it.
0: That's really interesting from like a customer journey perspective, because my assumption then is you're, you know, probably focusing a lot of your resources and spending money on customer service, on the touch point on making that personal connection happen, again, because it's a very important purchase. At the beginning, how did you sort of start balancing, you know, as as founders, kind of the resources? You're not... (laughs) firstly nobody knew you at the beginning so you're trying to get people to know you you have to balance your marketing costs you have to you know you have a physical space you also need to make sure customer service is on point and the product itself how did you start thinking of just like okay how do i balance my priorities because from a founder's perspective i'm always intrigued by just saying okay what do i even start with there's a laundry list of things
1: yeah the the number one thing is always the customer you know if no matter what, we would drop anything for customers. We've made house calls with people that you know can't figure something out. We visit them in Hoboken. We just ride the Path Train and go show them how it works. So if the customer has a need, that's always top priority, um, and especially the customers that love us.
0: How many people work for you?
1: We have a very small and lean. Team. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: is a lot of Path rides happening? Yeah,
1: yeah. We've made home deliveries, and you know, we want to show up on their doorstep. This is about making people feel part of a family. Um, you know, one thing we always say is. There, you know, no one wants to wear an incumbent brands t-shirt, but we already have people asking us to make ours so they can rep it and and rep Lalo in a proud way. Um, And we want people to feel like they're part of a family and not just buying products. We're
0: going to go back to the family, but first a quick break. Okay. So we're talking about getting people don't know you yet, making them part of the family. When did you start sort of feeling that traction? And what did, what did some of those KPIs look like for you? Like, what were your goals? You're saying, People are starting to respond. Interesting. That's good. People are tell- giving you feedback, I assume. Where did you kind of take it from there, both from a marketing perspective, but also a product perspective?
1: Yeah. So number one was the number one metric in the KPI that we look at, look at is how many households can we be in? How many households in America? Um, the reason being, you know, the more households, the more referrals, knowing that the consumer journey usually starts with friends. So out of all metrics, like how many households can we be in, with as, and then eventually repeat purchases, and and so on and so forth. And when we knew, I guess, that we had something, it was, I guess, a little a little twofold. With the stroller, you know, it was interesting. We had celebrities reaching out to us very early on, commenting on our Instagram posts, and that was interesting. So we've never spent a dollar in influencer marketing yet have had celebrities, you know, pushing our products and feeding their children in our products, um, and that is how we started kind of this just organic influencer program, celebrity-based influencer program. Um, And that was a a moment of validation. I think when another moment that was really important to us is, so we marketed a lot, the, the stroller a lot to people who already had strollers. So could they in their mind say, if I was having another kid or if I was doing this all over again, I would look at Lala. And what we started seeing was that people were coming to us telling us that their friend who has another stroller recommended ours. So oh, we So had, it was like
0: a switchers, but not really switchers, like friends of switchers. Yeah, kind. we had
1: exactly. We had referrals coming in from non customers. And to us, that that little nugget of people who don't have our products are recommending our products. Oh, that that's really interesting. We must be sticking out to them.
0: How are you tracking all this? Because I, it's, I, I mean, my God, the conversation about attribution, I swear, I, I've been talking about attribution in retail for like a decade at this point. But the attribution conversation keeps getting more and more interesting because especially with, when you're a direct-to-consumer brand, again, arguably, it should be easier. You know, you're controlling at least your conversation with the consumer, but it is really hard how are you it's impossible What are you guys doing I, so it's, I'm, it's, I'm curious it's
1: even harder in our space um, because of gifting so someone puts a product on their registry someone goes in and buys it now where do you attribute that purchase to Is it the gifter is it the user? How do you tie that back so you have to make sure you're getting a lot of data around that as much as possible so one way that we are able to kind of at least, paint somewhat of a picture to have a good understanding is we do a post-purchase survey, one question, one more thing, who told you about us. Then we can marry a bunch of things together. But right now at the stage of our business, it's a lot of guessing. Um, And I think every day we think about how do we get more and more data in a frictionless way Mm -hmm. to understand where our customers are finding out about us. Are they referring to friends? Um, and what channel can we attribute their their conversion to
0: and then in the same vein? Um, as you've kind of grown and matured and figured out more things. How are you looking at your marketing? What what's working? What are you curious about but not quite sure about? Um, what have you done?
1: Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, we're still a young business. We're seven months old seven and a half months old so we're thinking about <laughs> crawling um, so For us, there's, you know, as we look to the future, you know, what we learn from The Loft and holding events for for families, this in-person experience is so, so differentiated in this space. It's a way for us to let people feel the brand, get to know us. A lot of times they're interacting with us as founders at these events. And it's not very often you're going to meet a founder of, uh, you know, an incumbent baby gets brand. So So that's personal. It's very, very personal. And that's what family is, right? It's personal and it's letting people know the inside of it. How are you
0: going to scale that?
1: Um, Just clone yourself. Yeah, something. That's the the plan. Uh, Yeah, we will. We'll have to clone ourselves. No, but that's just about finding good people to join our team. You know, these people should just be extensions of ourselves and should, you know, be just as good at sharing the mission. But outside of that, I mean, influencer has been great, right? Finding celebrities that are out in the world and influencers, you know, YouTube, Instagram Hmm. that have our products, represent our products. That is your friend in a weird way, giving you a recommendation, right? So, So,
0: I mean, that was the genesis of influencer marketing was essentially influence. It was people you trusted. You may not know them, but you knew them.
1: Yeah, the definition of a friend maybe has changed, right? (laughs) This person you don't know, but you see everything in their life. That's your friend. That recommendation from them can go far and it can go far in this space.
0: But you've done more, Celeb- I'm interested because in in especially in your category I mean wow you know parent influencers kind of the the old trope yeah. of the mommy bloggers I mean it's all very real it's there's there are genuinely so such influential influencers who are parents and parents probably most passionate of them all when it comes to recommending things they believe in are you, have you gone, are you considering or have you gone more into like regular people influence? Are you thinking We've about it? We've run the gamut. It? You've done all yeah, of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's been people with a few thousand followers to hundreds of millions of followers. So like literally the most followed people on Instagram all the way down to like, you know, someone that's just like you and me.
0: How is that, um, How's what's it been like kind of working with them? One of the things I find so interesting about influencer marketing is... It it kind of keeps swinging back and forth. Like there's a a time in which all the brands are like, "Hey, we're going to work really closely with them. They're almost like our agencies. Like we kind of give them a brief and all the stuff and they almost become like a media channel. And now I do think it's sort of coming back to maybe a little bit more raw, a little bit more real and saying, look, if you love us, do something with it. Do you worry about control or anything like that?
1: We don't control. And so I mentioned before, my background is in sports and entertainment. I was a sports agent. I was on the talent side. So I know what it's like to be approached by a brand to get a brief and you almost want to kill the deal at that point. Uh, and just like our customers, we want to make the, everybody feel like they're part of a family. And your family doesn't tell you exactly how you need to do your life, exactly what you should post on Instagram. They just nudge
0: you a little bit and yeah. nag you until you're there.
1: So soft nudges, maybe, some, some you know, just letting them really feel and understand what the brand is all about. But at the end of the day, kind of these Instagram uh, influencers and celebrities in general are a gift that keeps on giving. So we weed through hundreds of inbound influencer requests every day. Wow. So we get people contacting us, to, and baby products are expensive, so that might be part of why is like yeah. you know they know they have all these purchasing decisions. But we weed through these, and we we find great people, um, and that makes our influencer program a bit easier to control because they come to us and a little bit real. Yeah, and real exactly.
0: Um, let's take your lala hat-, hat off for a minute. Um, why? Why go DTC? Like, what what about it? Said you have you had a great product idea. Why not say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make great products, and then I'm going to approach big big brand name big big box stores, or maybe I'll just sort of approach Amazon, and where you know Amazon has all these programs or any marketplace, and say, I'll deal with the product. You guys handle distribution. You guys handle c- customer data. That's what I'm going to do. Why go? the path you've gone down and why is that sort of what makes you a DTC brand?
1: Yeah. So a few things there. Number one, we've been using DTC as kind of a blanket statement. And uh, I mean, there's no real definition. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, any consumer company is DTC at this point. Um, But why we want DTC is what we feel is that retail experience, that big box experience is fundamentally broken in this space. Um, You have people that don't connect with the, that you can't connect with the brand you're not getting honest information, you're often pointed to based on your budget, where in the story should go, or you have a lack of choices, right? So in big urban centers like New York, you have more choice, but even people in kind of the middle of the country have even less choice. They're, they just have a few big box stores, and they're lucky if what's on the shelf isn't broken and there's no one helping them. So we know that's broken, you're not being helped, you're making those decisions out of ignorance and fear. And how can we allow people to feel empowered and joyful about this experience that they're going through? So. We knew we needed to change that, and um, but at the same time, we always want to meet our customers where they are. So we've done a great job in getting people to come to us, but we we think the landscape is changing a bit, and you still have to meet your customers where they are. Does that? And then that's sort of what
0: kind of I was trying to get at too, because you know you have seen brands that businesses that start off a hundred percent, they're the only ones talking to the customer. Then they sort of move. You know, I've heard everything from, okay, we'll never go above 60%. We'll, we'll do 40% wholesale, maybe marketplace, et cetera, or working with other retailers, collaborations. But as long as you retain 60% of our brand or 70% or 45%, and that line keeps changing. Is DTC just a launch business model or, is it a, or can it be a business model?
1: For many brands, it's a launch model. And I do think it can be sustainable as a long-term business model in the right businesses. Um, And if you can show that your customers will come to you over anybody else and prove that pretty fast, then it probably is more sustainable.
0: And it can be scaled?
1: It can be. I mean, it depends on how quickly you're growing, the margins you have, the funding you have. All the different factors put in, I think, would determine how scalable it actually is.
0: Do you worry about sort of you know, how that's going to look for you or is that just not a consideration right now? Like, let's not even talk about it.
1: It's not really a consideration. I mean, we're seven months old as a business. So, you know, we're, we're focused on growth right now and growth alone and, um, and the customer and that's it. And with, our, you know, our eyes so focused on the customer, we'll make the right decisions. Our customers really dictate what we do. Mm-hmm. We launched a, one product for newborns. Our customers then were four months old and we were like, oh, we should launch the high chair. And that's how we think about our product development. That's how we think about retail, our own retail or others. Um, and we want to just you know, be there to best serve parents. And I think it will, it will show itself for us what the best path is.
0: A lot of, you know, challenges in this space right now have been a customer acquisition costs, you know, have keep, they keep rising, especially for brands that are, and for many of these DTCs, they are kind of built on Instagram and Facebook and those are effective channels, but more and more expensive. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting how much more of the companies are starting to use like what I would call traditional channels, you know, direct mail is suddenly yeah. interesting, um, TV for those who can sort of afford it. How do you think of kind of your marketing mix and where do you sort of see that changing, especially as you're looking at kind of an industry you're part of, you're sort of on the sort of youngest end of that industry and there's all these players out there. Are you looking at those playbooks? Are you thinking about how those will work for you? What's, what, how do you think of the industry and how it's marketing itself?
1: Yeah, I, I think we, we consider everything. We consider both uh, like the playbook, if you will, but we also consider what's right for us and what's unique to this space. Um, and for, for us, the, the traditional channels of, for D to C, they work and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to layer on there. But it's ultimately about attention and where the, where the attention of the consumer is. And right now, um, the attention is heavily on Instagram. It's extremely efficient. However, for us, our customer also spends time building their registry. Is there interesting things we can do there? So we always like to think a little bit um, creatively about how we can get the brand out there. And oftentimes we'll approach people and they may not even have that offering, but we'll think about how we can work into the mix or create a new offering for them that allows us to put our brand at the attention of the consumer where they are when they're thinking about buying. Um, And because this is such a moment in time for a customer, you, you have to nail it. You have to get it right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Last question. As a founder, co-founder, what do you worry about?
1: It's a great question. Uh, I mean, obviously, every day we worry about uh, the customer and the team we're building. And can we support the customers in the best way with the team we're building? So how do we find really good people? And I think a lot of founders are very quick to find experts and find people that can do a great job at the task you give them. But they're less focused on finding great people. And that can be a slippery slope. And for us, we are all about finding great people because at the end of the day, if we have great people, the customers will feel it and our our business will pay dividends. It's
0: yeah. a great way to end on that note. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Pierre Bnma who also made our amazing theme song. Thank you, Pierre. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for our show, and leave us a review and a rating. It helps new listeners find us. Thanks again for listening.